0: Welcome to the State of the Lakers show on Dash Radio. Today is Thursday, and we are coming to you after yet another Lakers preseason blowout. Um, so of course, naturally there was a good amount of panic, uh, from people that were thinking that, uh, the Lakers were trying to win yesterday rather than just play some basketball. Um, but that's the natural experience of being a fan and Raj and I are here today to help sort that out. First of all, Raj, how you go, how you doing? How's your week going so far? Going great.
1: Beautiful, uh, Thursday morning. Uh, yeah. Trade everyone, right? Is that the, (laughs) is that the vibe of this, um, Palinka made every mistake possible this offseason, right? Let's just trade everyone. So that's a vibe. At least I got. It's it's funny not watching a game live because everything just feels double like on the timeline when you try to follow a game through tweets. Um, everything just feels double, you know. So it's it's crazy to rewatch it. But I'm good, man. How are you on this good I'm, I'm,
0: morning? I'm doing well. I'm uh, getting ready to go out of town tomorrow up to Prescott, which is basically a place in northern Arizona where it's a little cooler. So it's a place where people Mm -hmm. go to escape the heat. So I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, dude, it's funny because I I think it's just – when you go back and look through tweets, sometimes too, you can't, uh, you don't remember where in the game they were referencing. So sometimes Mm -hmm. like, it's just kind of funny to see the, the, the reactions, but you know, to me, I think you and I have harped on this like 17 times in the last couple of weeks, but the point of the preseason is not to win basketball games. The point of the preseason is to get reps for specific guys, specific lineups and things along those lines. Also, I do believe that some of this is just uh part of what the NBA makes these teams do. You know, like I, I bet you, if it were up to Frank, knowing that he had no forwards available in the last week because of the Uriza injury. And because of the fact that he didn't want LeBron to play, I, I would imagine that, like, if it were up to him, he wouldn't even have played a game. He would have just had more practice reps for these guys, you know, so I wouldn't overthink it too much. Plus, you and I were clearly devastatingly wrong about DeAndre Jordan because of his <laughs> ugly preseason performance yesterday that we will discuss later. Anyway, today we're going to talk a little bit about last night's game, just kind of overarching uh, uh, what we thought. Then we're going to talk about... The um, the Trevor Ariza injury, what it means, what we think the Lakers should do, how big of a deal it is. Uh, and then we're going to do a deep dive into a couple of the players that played in that game, specifically Carmelo Anthony, Taylor Horton Tucker, and then uh, uh, Malik Monk and then a little bit of Anthony Davis too. He deserves a shout out. We didn't talk much about him uh, in the in the first game. Um, but, you know, to, overarching about the preseason game yesterday, the first thing that stood out to me is something that you and I talked about in the Tuesday pod, which is when you, you know, the Lakers have some defensive liabilities at the guard position. That's to be, you know, that that's, you can just jump to that conclusion. However, you know, they were never brought on board to all play together. That was never the point, right. you know, they they didn't bring on Ellington Monk. And, and, uh, uh, none to all play simultaneously. Yet, by virtue of what's happened in the preseason, because LeBron isn't playing, because Russell Westbrook isn't playing, they've had to play them all. And so what you're seeing is, I don't want to say not a real basketball team, just not what the Lakers are, are intending to, to put on the court this year. OK, and so from that standpoint, you know, it's, it's kind of it naturally going to lead to some ugly eyesore basketball. OK, so you need to pay attention to what they do individually and not what the team accomplishes in those minutes. As things progress, a lot of these minutes are going to be taken up by Russ. A lot of these minutes are going to be taken up by LeBron. Whoever they get to replace Ariza is going to take a lot of these minutes. I wouldn't worry about it too much. And just in general, we talked about the you know the the aggregate of athleticism on the floor. When you have this many small guys, when you have this many guys who are thin at the point like all over the perimeter, it kind of makes the Lakers look like they're just not that imposing, but they're never going to play lineups like that. So I wouldn't be too concerned. What what were your overarching thoughts about that game yesterday? So we always like to kind of look at ourselves first, right? But
1: there was another basketball team on the floor yesterday. Like there was another team that played that played against us. Phoenix is a well-oiled machine. Like even without even without having Devin Booker, they know exactly what they want to run, right? And they brought back I think thirteen of their seventeen players from last year, or something like that. Um, Chris Paul knows everyone's tendencies. They just and they played most of their guys yesterday, right? Their starting lineup was pretty much their starting lineup without obviously Devin Booker. So first, I want to start there. They look good. They look like they know what they're doing. Aiden looked dominant as well. That was expected, right? And the Lakers started their starting lineup that's not really gonna play, right? They don't have their star creation on there. So that was my overarching theme. Like to me, like judging any of these players, and we'll talk about it later, the individual guys, but judging without the two guys who are gonna have the ball for the most of the time, it's really tough for me to look at these games. So I look at more kind of in kind of in a team kind of sense, right? And I thought AD looked good in that first quarter, like when you rewatch a game later, you can kind of take notes a little bit better. Game was close in that first quarter. Like when you had our when we had our starting lineup against against their starters, like it was pretty good. I thought the defense was okay. It was in that second quarter where like Tht and kind of Ad came out, and then the flood just opened. Mikkel Bridges got was got whatever he wanted on like Ellington and stuff like that. But yeah, that was my overarching theme. Phoenix looks like a team that knows where they are. They look like they're just continuing on from last year. Honestly. They had that like we went to the finals confidence, and I really do believe in that. I believe in like a playoff, a playoff thing that improves kind of your play, even if it was in a year where they, where they play, played some teams with injuries. But I just think like they have a confidence to them. You could tell Mikkel Bridges is very comfortable in himself. You can see Cam Johnson is very comfortable in himself. DeAndre comfortable. Chris Paul super comfortable with this team now. So that's my kind of overarching theme on this. Phoenix is a step ahead in terms of continuity and they look like a team that brought back a whole bunch of players and the lakers look like a team that has a whole new squad that's missing its, its first and third best players on it so that's kind of the overarching theme on there
0: i thought chris paul looked fantastic i i, I could i couldn't believe but you know there's a, there, you know, LeBron famously, uh, if you, if you've followed him over the years, he kind of has like a regimen that he goes into about a month before the season starts where he kind of kicks it into gear. But other than that, he kind of takes distance from the game because he needs to. It's for your own, you know, mental health, um, especially with how much stress he puts on his body. You know, Chris Paul is, has kind of been like that in his career too. He's had seasons where he comes in where he's out of shape or he, he kind of plays his way into shape and, I was just blown away by how polished and, and, uh, uh, like just, just he looked like he was in a great basketball rhythm, which is not what you expect to see from players at this point in the season. As far as the, you know, good sons goes, um, you know, it's a, when you look at those lineups kind of juxtaposed against each other, you see Jay Crowder out there, you see Mikhail Bridges, you see these Cam Johnson minutes. These are big, you know, Jay Crowder's only 6'6, but the these are he's super strong. The Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson are huge. They're going up against these six foot two, poor, uh, uh like, like kind of thin guards. It's it's a it's a mismatch physically all over the floor. And to your point, the fact that they even hung with them in the first quarter is impressive. And a big part of that I thought was Anthony Davis. And you know, just in general, we didn't talk about him much on uh uh after the uh the Sunday game. But I thought in both st- in both games, it, or especially early when he wasn't so much focused on what he was doing offensively, but just kind of uh, uh, focused on the uh, the, f- the totality of what was happening in the game, I thought he was getting a ton of hands on basketballs. The amount yeah. of basketballs that he deflects just by fr- like kind of that three quarter front type of post defense and what he does in pick and roll coverages, what he does playing passing lanes, it was just a good reminder of the fact that Anthony Davis is the best defensive player in basketball when he's trying and when he's healthy, that's always been the case. And, you know, there's a bunch to more to talk about with Anthony Davis, and we're gonna to get to him more later in the show because he does not look comfortable offensively at all. In fact, he hasn't really looked comfortable offensively since the bubble. Uh, in terms of a consistent like night in and night out, like just looks like he's got his feathery touch, he's got his handle under control, and he kind of is seeing and reading the floor well. That's kind of gone, and th- and it's gonna be a process for him to get that back. He needs to regain that mojo, is what I what I was calling it yesterday while I was watching the game. But on the defensive end, that kind of thing, he's just so naturally gifted with his physical traits and with his instincts that like when he cares on that end, it just makes everything easier. And it makes all the jobs for all the players on the floor easier. The reason why the Lakers defense looked so terrible yesterday overall is what you were asking those guards to do was to hold their own at the point of attack all over the place because the totality of the Laker defense wasn't really all there, you know, the, uh, because of the lineups they were forced to play because of the guys that were resting. I made the joke if Dwight Howard and LeBron James and Trevor Ariza and Russell Westbrook are all out for the season, then you can count on the fact that the Lakers aren't winning the title. And that's the truth. That's the, that, that is the reality of, of any basketball team. If you're going to play all your worst, you know, not your worst, but your lesser players while all your better players are sitting on the bench, it's not going to look great. Anthony, I'm really excited. To see what the Laker defense looks like with Anthony Davis healthy, healthy and trying, with LeBron James as that backline communicator, kind of plays that Draymond role, you know, is just always kind of floating into the lane and, and, and just disrupting everything. Uh, when Trevor Reza gets back healthy, which we'll talk about in a minute and with Russell Westbrook's energy and just what he can do as a leader to bring that kind of verve and and, and intensity on the defensive end. I'm very excited for that, and I thought it was funny to see everybody kind of panic and and lose their minds yesterday watching the game when the obvious truth was out there that that wasn't really what it was going to look like when the time came. What did you like about Anthony Davis and what he did in the game yesterday? Yeah, I highlighted a few plays as well online. He had You talked about him as the best
1: defender in basketball. Like he just he erases kind of mistakes, right? In a way. He can really erase mistakes. So like there was a bunch of times like the guard drove and he's able to like take away the guard layup at the rim while also deflecting like the pass to Ayton. And like his I thought his energy kind of dropped after that first quarter, that second quarter. And again, it's a preseason game, you expect that. But I thought he was active early his jumper still isn't going, which I expect to go eventually. And again, he takes really tough ones. He doesn't really make it easy on himself. He's taking like jab step, step back jumpers over DeAndre Aiden before he's any in any kind of offensive rhythm. Again, though, judging him without the two shot creators is really tough. Like I want to see him next to Russ next to LeBron like AD was is never this guy you just throw the ball to and run your offense through, right? Like that's just it's just not an effective way to run offense uh, in the modern NBA right now. He's a guy you want him with, like, some shot creation. So he should be able to be a little bit better than he was offensively. But I liked him on defense, though. He looked like he's getting back into the rhythm, and he talked about that um, after the game. And Aiden's a tough matchup, right? Like, And Chris Paul is a tough matchup as well. Um, Chris Paul really hunted our guards, especially in that second quarter. I think uh, I wrote down here, like, they put in, they had none Ellington Monk Melo and I think Deandre Jordan at center. And that lineup got just ran off the floor. And Melo hit some fun shots. Melo did some like Carmelo things, you know, little jab step. Uh he did that like I got the rebound f out of here and stuff. And, <laughs> and he uh he had some like he had some post up moves on Jay Crowder and hit some of his his fadeaways but that, that lineup just got destroyed. Mikkel Bridges got whatever he wanted. Uh, Chris Paul got whatever he wanted, and that's when the game kind of went out. But it's good to see AD. Just he wanted to play in the second half, right? I don't. I didn't think he would play in that second half. But you could tell he's just trying to get his foot on the gas a little bit. I think when he missed that many games last year, still trying to get himself in rhythm, trying to get his defensive, uh, his defensive stuff in rhythm as well. And Phoenix is a tough team to do that with. Um, but yeah, I like I liked at least seeing him out there getting that cardio as well. Um, and this is the time to do it. they have four more preseason games. That seems like a ton and I think mm-hmm. last year just kind of it hid the fact that how many preseason games there are and I'm, I'm expecting all of them to sit at least the last one. that's usually what coaches do. They want that last one to rest before the before the real thing So I expect braun and ad to play uh, braun and Russ to play in maybe the, the next one or on Sunday but, but it's good to see ad at least want to be out there and get in rhythm with his teammates.
0: I thought you made a really good point about uh, Anthony Davis and the way in which he gets his rhythm. It's one of the the things that uh, that I used to complain about with Kyle Kuzma a lot last year. A lot of guys that are you know that are capable of being really good aggressive jump shooters will take tough jump shots to try to build their rhythm instead of trying to build the rhythm through easy shots. It's Honestly, it's one of the things that has made LeBron so efficient in his career. You're not, LeBron doesn't come out in the first quarter taking step-back threes. If He will take threes when they're in the flow, when he's catching and, and shooting wide open, but for the most part in the first quarter, LeBron will take easier shots. And then as he gets his rhythm, you'll see him start to take more difficult shots as things go. It's something that I think Anthony Davis can kind of kind of learn from a little bit because he is so physically capable of being dominant around the basket. He could build his rhythm that way and then kind of work his way out with confidence to make shots. And for whatever reason, he doesn't kind of go about it that way. Um, But that said, if you look at it from Anthony Davis's perspective, the way he sees it is like, man, I was making all of these shots in the bubble. (laughs) And so I I know they're going to go in eventually. So I just need to keep shooting them. Eventually, they'll go in. I'll get my confidence and then we'll hit the ground running. You know what I mean? And I think that's the reason why he stayed in the game so long. I think he was just in his head thinking, let me stay out there. Let me get four or five more jump shots up. And let me see if I can try to build this rhythm a little bit more as as time goes. Jump shooting is one of the weirdest uh, things in the game of basketball because there's it, it's such a uh, an inexact science. Like you can work so incredibly hard on your jump shot, and sometimes they just don't go in. You know, like so, like the I would it would happen to me all the time. I would have a week where I put in excellent work, and I would work on my I'd go extra to the gun and uh, at the gym, and I'd shoot a thousand shots. You know, three days during the week to get that extra work in. And then for whatever reason, in a random, you know, Thursday game, I just wouldn't be able to make a shot, you know? But then there would be another week where I wouldn't put as much much work in, and for whatever reason, they just kind of go in. Like, jump shooting is – it's such a – it's such a a, a a mind f for lack of a of a better term that it can it can really get in your head and I think that's what what Anthony Davis is going through a little bit I think he knows he's a good shooter he knows he puts the work in he ha, there's no reason why these shots should not be going in except for the fact that they just aren't and I and you could tell that he's just trying to work through that and I'm not worried about it at all eventually the eventually the work connects with the result and it right. will it will come together and he'll start making shots and uh, like i said my only criticism is i think that he should probably try to build his rhythm on the interior and kind of work his way out because it is a confidence game and i do think that that would kind of help him in that regard if that makes sense
1: yeah and i think both of us are like a big believer in process over results Mm -hmm. right like even if even if those step back mid-range kind of jumpers are going in early like that's to me that's still not like great process and the, the guards that he's playing with aren't really conductive to that either there's a lot of times I don't know if you noticed this as well but like he'd run a picker with Kendrick Nunn and that pocket pass is just a little off right and the Suns are really good like they'll they'll tap that away and they got a bunch of kind of deflections on that as well even THT try to run some ball screens with him I don't think I want to see Baysmore run anymore <laughs> any more ball screens but you try to run a few with him as well uh monk i thought did a pretty nice job again monk these are all guys that are looking for their shot off of that right so like when monk comes off a screen and roll he's reading where the big is so he can attack him um he's not reading kind of where ad is but he hit him with a few nice pocket passes as well but i just think the the guards that he's playing with and again like it's so tough to judge any of this because 90 percent of the ball handling is about to move to two players who were in street clothes yesterday so
0: it's kind of who will get who will get anthony davis easy shots early
1: in the game Exactly. And guys who look for him, right? Like, just watch mm-hmm. him when he plays with Rondo. And again, he AD didn't have a great offensive game yesterday. But Rondo checks in, pushes the pace, gives a little, like, fervor to the game, right? Rondo's like, even if Rondo's kind of more in this, like, uh, pointing instead of doing, you know what I mean? Like, he's more in like, hey, do this. And he's not himself kind of doing it. But still, it kind of gives his team kind of a pickup. And uh, he comes in right away. Ad has his, AD's man is fronting. And Rondo just immediately throws it up and i don't think any other player on the team who played yesterday would have thrown that pass but it got to AD he caught it it was kind of contested he laid it in i don't remember if he got fouled but again like those are the kind of players that kind of get him plays that kind of get him going so i want i want to see him next to our stars but just good to see him out there too but i don't know, judging him without the two shot creators that we're going to see i keep saying this but like we're seeing THT in the lebron and restbook role like This is what a game's gonna look like. (laughs) You have a twenty-year-old
0: running your offense, yeah. Exactly,
1: or even like Kendrick Nunn. You know what I mean? Giving Kendrick Nunn the full ball-handling duties. You know, this is kind of what it's gonna look like. Like he's a good player; he can score off a pick and roll a little bit, but you know, you don't want him as your full-time shot creator. And Russ and LeBron are probably our first and second best rebounders, or I guess AD is in there somewhere. But again, like that's that's why it's it's so different to me watching. You know, Ellington and Monk tried to uh, sandwich Aiden on rebounds. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess. But uh, yeah, they, they got killed on the boards. And that's not an excuse. It's just it's kind of how the game game went yesterday.
0: Isn't it kind of funny how like Rondo, the Rondo experience was so frustrating, for me at least. I, I, yeah. I know there are some guys oh, who are higher on Rondo. For everyone. But, but the Rondo experience was so frustrating when LeBron was on the floor or when oh, LeBron yeah. was a, an option. But, like, it's weird how he's kind of super refreshing when LeBron and and Russ aren't playing because it's just a guy who at least kind of thinks the game the way that those guys do. Uh, I, I agree with you that the decision making was a big part of it. Like, I, I you know, Kendrick Nunn, I thought he had a pretty rough game as a decision maker. I thought he was consistently kind of forcing things. And I think that it was part of the reason why he uh, 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 couldn't get into rhythm with, with his shot. It was just kind of everything seemed forced and, and out of the flow. Um, there was a play with Malik Monk. And for the record, I thought Malik Monk was awesome. And we're going to talk more about him later. Oh, yeah. But that kind of captures exactly what you're talking about. He uh, uh, was running a side pick and roll in the first half with Anthony Davis. It was one of his first possessions when he checked in the game. And Anthony Davis sets the screen and then he pops to the three point line. And when he pops to the three point line, Monk comes off the screen and the big and the guard both stay with Monk. And he kind of takes like a contested, like 17 foot elevating jump shot along the baseline. And uh, immediately what I thought to myself was Monk, Came into that pick and roll thinking I'm shooting a jump shot off the dribble going left. Like he telegraphed the hell out of it because he certainly wasn't making a read because it wasn't open. And if you yeah. actually watch the play, all he had to do was kind of pick up his dribble, reverse pivot, drop it back to Anthony Davis for a wide open three point shot. That that's what you would do if you were making a read rather than uh, kind of preconceiving what you were gonna do. And again, I, I, I don't want to harp on Monk because he did so much good in that game, and we're gonna talk more about him. But that's kind of exactly. What what I'm talking about. And when LeBron and Russ are in the game, they both think the game, uh, at least through the perspective of, of constantly being aware of, of what kind of easy reads are available. And and I do think that that's going to make everything look better uh, around the floor. Now with Malik Monk, I think he's separating himself offensively from the other guys in the group. Um, I do think Kendrick Nunn's going to have his moments. Like he hasn't really found his jump shot yet since he came uh, uh, to the Lakers and he had a really good jump shooting season last year uh, on a pretty difficult shot profile so I do think that he's going to have his moments but it's very clear that like Kendrick Nunn is more of a guy who can make shots and Malik Monk is more in that like Ellington tier of like he's a shooter like w- like when he's open it's, it's easy for him and, and you could tell that that next level of touch is there And I also think he's a better ball handler uh, than Kendrick Nunn. There was a move in the second half where he kind of hesitated off after coming off a pick and roll, kind of looked up at the rim, got the the big to hesitate. Uh, I think it was JaVale McGee kind of just kind of just barely got out of his defensive stance. And then he squeaked right by him and put it high off the glass and made it. And I'm like, man, that is a super advanced dribble combination that he put together to get into the rim. And like, I think his combination of athleticism, he's actually a tiny bit taller than Kendrick Dunn. It looks like about an inch taller And that that high level ball handling and that elite shooting really translates to being a, a significantly better offensive player than some of these other options. Now, the defensive end is a whole other side of this. Um, but I think early on here, kind of like Frank was talking about, Camp has separated himself as a defensive player. I think Malik Monk has separated himself from the pack as an offensive player. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's funny how, like, one game can kind of just change our whole view on a player. Like, I love that play that you talked about with the where he's running a screen roll with AD, right? And, like, he didn't kick it out to him. Dude was feeling himself, right? This was his first touch of the game. Like, first touch of the game, screen roll with AD, step back, jumper. And while watching it, I'm just like, oh, yeah, of course he should shoot that. <laughs> of course he should. And it's because of just the one game in preseason. Um, but, yeah, I... I forgot, like, when he came out of college, I believe he came in as a shooter, right? I think, like, he came into the league as a shooter, and then he showed a little bit more off-the-dribble stuff. But, yeah, like, him coming off that, he had, he had one play, I think it was his first three, came off, like, I think a little bit of a down screen or something, curled, smooth, looked absolutely smooth, uh, went up really smooth and, and hit the three. And then, like, he used that threat to kind of get to the rim. Uh, you talked about the off-the-glass off the, off the glass shot that he had. Um, he had one where he was in transition, just a little bit. Of an in and out dribble right by Cam Johnson right to the rim as well. Uh, he's just a scorer, man. Like he reminds me a little bit of like Lou Williams, like a little bit of that kind of type. Maybe not the the veteranness of Lou Williams, but like just that game where he can shoot off the dribble, get to the basket, and like his ball handling. I think opens things up as well. Um, it's just cool to see him get more and more comfortable. And you're right, he's probably in the lead right now. Honestly, I honestly thought Wayne Ellington would be a little bit better, but again, I think he suffers. The most along with Bazemore of not playing with these star shot creators because i think that's where he's at his best uh and playing with rondo as well but i'm excited to see malik next to lebron and russ if he can still have that kind of same uh impact and his spot up threes are good too like he's running to the corners one dribble step up three i think he's like i forgot what the number said but he's shooting like a super crazy percentage from three in the first two games i think he's oh like yeah six for, six for ten or something like that mm-hmm. his jumper looks clean though you're right when you watch him shoot some guys you're like yeah he like Kendrick Nunn seems like such a streaky shooter right the way he shoots it just feels like it's all rhythm like it's kind of like if he's going that night it's going in if not then it's going to be ugly Malik Muck looks like I have a really pretty shot and I know it's going in every time so 100% agree. you're right mm-hmm. yeah you're right he he looks like in the league right now in the guard rotation
0: and it'll be interesting because uh I think he fits best coming off the bench I don't expect him to start like what mm-hmm. but you but you got to kind of again like when you're building a closing lineup you need it to be your best five guys because that's what you're trying to win the game with um however over the course of a full basketball game it's kind of like a you need to factor in the diminishing returns right like if i put malik monk out there with russ and lebron all the time that's a diminishing return because his ball handling is less valuable uh when he doesn't have the ball in his hands right so like a guy like Ellington, in my opinion, through, through the through the run of the regular season and all of these random shifts at random points in the game, I like Ellington with the three stars, and I like Monk when stars are, are being spelled for stretches on the bench, if that makes sense. As a matter of fact, with the Ariza injury, I think Ellington is almost a shoe-in to start. And I think you're going to end up seeing... Uh, Bazemore, the guy everybody wanted to start instead of Ellington, I think you're going to see him in the games where AD pl- starts at the 5, which may not happen, and we'll get to that in a second, but uh, if AD starts at the 5, I think you're going to see a lot of Bazemore at the 3 and Ellington at the 2, but you bring in Monk with those bench lineups, and now his ball handling becomes all that more valuable. Um Let's talk about Melo for a second, because I thought I thought it was an interesting game from him in a lot of ways. First of all, he actually defended okay in the, in the first uh, stint that he had. There was one transition play, I think it was in his second stint, where he had a really bad close. It was a mismatch where Rondo, I don't think, got back to his man properly, and then Mello got confused, and then he closed out. But then he did this super janky close out to chase Mikhail Bridges off the line, where he basically reached at a ball that wasn't even there and just gave him a layup. That's classic Melo-type stuff that he's going to have to cut out. But I thought it was a really interesting game from Mello in the sense that it captured the good and the bad. Because he had a couple of plays where he got uh, post-ups against um, uh, smaller guards and got really good looks. There was one where he kind of did a drop step on on Chris Paul and got that layup. And then there was another one, I can't remember who, I think it might have been campaign that he got on a switch. But he shot like a little turnaround jump, t- jumper and it looked really easy. But then when he tried to post up the wings, like when he tried to post up Jay Crowder or Mikhail Bridges or Cam Johnson, you could tell there was that he kept trying to take that fade away and he, he tried to shoot that little bank shot and it was like way off. And I think it's a really interesting thing to kind of keep an eye on this season because I love Carmelo Anthony attacking smaller guards in these post ups. Because it it, it just his size is such a problem that that he gets great lift and the guys bounce off of him and he gets a great look at the rim. But these other these wings at this stage in his career, they bump him off of his spot. When he when he tries to do that power dribble before he goes into his fadeaway, he loses all of his balance because they win that physical matchup. And now he's taking a fadeaway where he's off balance. And it's not close. And so that's the kind of thing that I'd be... Now, last night's game is different because they needed him to shoot more because of the guys that were playing. So obviously, I don't want to judge him in that respect. But it's something to keep an eye on in the regular season when the guys are healthy. Melo's shot selection in specific matchups and remembering that at this stage in his career, he's not going to be able to win, you know, kind of an even matchup in terms of size on the block, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I'm not saying you're doing this, but I've seen this a lot online, like people um, saying, like, you know, who's Melo gonna defend? Like, uh, is Melo gonna be able to stay in front of these young guards? And to me, it's like, if I have, if I hire a chef and I tell that chef to like fix my air conditioning, like what the hell? Like, what are you what are you talking about? Like, I'm not here to fix your air conditioning. I'm a like, chef. Melo's there to cook and score. Like that. That's what Melo's in the game for. Like expecting him to be like some huge defensive kind of. uh huge defensive impact players just not realistic to me He's has got a score and i think he still can do that we saw some like where 80s at the top right because I, to me i think Melo's is gonna play a lot where 80s at the five like to me that's where he's gonna play and i thought that lineup looked actually okay even like defensively it looked fine to me um with Melo at the four you saw 80 kind of feed mellow in the post right and it's kind of hard to double off that and they, they were doing some cool stuff um off the ball as well sending some pin screens which he missed a couple he's Carmelo Anthony, like. Once once you give him the ball, it's like, that's a license for me to do what I what exactly. I do. Uh, there's a license for me to do what I do. So I think he can still get buckets in that way. And so on the Blazers, first year on the Blazers, he played uh, 33 minutes a game, which is high, right? Mm-hmm. Second year, 25 minutes a game, which, I mean, Carmelo Anthony, 25 minutes still seems a little high. I want to see what Melo looks like in like a... 15 to like 18 minute role right like where it's just pure buckets like there's not that's my job I don't have to do all these help responsibilities like my job is to come in and get buckets and he's a guy that gets you a shot right I think we undervalue how tough it is to even just get a shot in the NBA you know what i mean, like just be able to create your own shot like have a guy you can give the ball to and be like hey get us a get us a look that has a chance of going in I think that's a skill. That's necessary on at least second unit. So I like him with AD. I think that's where we'll see him. I, I don't really want to see him next to like DeAndre Jordan, where they're the only two backline players. That that lineup got killed last night, and we'll talk about DJ later, I'm sure. But um, but yeah, that lineup got killed as it should. Like those are two dudes who know exactly how many stakes there are on preseason. I'll give you a secret: there are zero stakes in preseason. So, and they both know that they've been in the league a very long time. So. I liked what I saw from Melo. And again, you talked about it earlier. Like You're not looking at the scoreboard in these preseason games. Just kind of looking at what players can do and what skill sets they can kind of bring to different lineups that will have. The star players that can kind of take a, take care of the other stuff. So I thought Melo looked fine. Um, he's not going to have a huge minute role, I don't think, this year. But I want to see him in that 15-minute role, man. Can he be 2015 Melo in 14 minutes? He can't do that in 30 minutes. He can't. I'm not even sure he can do that in 25. But 15 minutes a game. Five to six minutes at the, five to six minutes every half I, I think he can do that
0: I don't think you you need to ask him to do much defensively uh as long as the the lineup around him is is kind of built a, uh, you know built in a way that makes his responsibilities easy like you said don't play him with d j don't play him with Dwight play him with a d you know make it so that the aggregate defensive talent around him is good so that his job is easy I'll give you an example on that transition play where he where he reached on mikhail bridges and mikhail got the easy layup you know it's like, I'm sure Frank did say this to him, but it's like, okay, that's a breakdown. It was a defensive breakdown in transition that you guys weren't matched up. So you had to do this crazy closeout. But you have one job at that point just make him take a jumper. I don't care if it's even a wide open three, uh, just anything other than this wide open, easy, right at the rim layup with nobody around. It was that that was where he messed up. He did a good job of kind of chasing him off the three point line. But then he reached, and if he wouldn't have reached, and if he would have just kind of done a more conservative closeout to take away the paint, you make Mikhail Bridges take, you know, a pull up fifteen footer, or make him maybe he just pulls it back out, and then you reset into a half court possession. That's kind of a much easier responsibility than saying, hey, you know, your job is to, you know, be this like super stout isolation defender or whatever it is that you're asking him to do. You make it easy for him with the totality of of the lineup. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you as far as Melo goes. I want him to cook. I want him to be aggressive. I really like him as an isolation scorer. Just locate the matchups. Like, make it a thing where it's like, hey, we want to get Mello a look. Maybe run a mellow AD pick and roll and see if you can't uh, uh, get a, a big, big slow guy on him or or mm-hmm. the opposite. Like, run a pick and roll with, with Russ and get a switch so that he's on a smaller guard and then look for him in the post because I really like him as a post-up scorer specifically against the smaller defenders. And then really quickly, last thing on Melo... I really like his spot up shooting in the sense that he's tall and he's got a really quick release. And he's he's got this. It's actually it's actually something that I copied from him a lot when I was in college. He does a really good job of hesitating right before his pull up, right before his spot up threes to kind of lull the defender to sleep. I don't know if you see this, but like he'll mm-hmm. catch the ball and he'll kind of hold it for a split second. And he'll act like he's not going to do anything. And then suddenly he'll elevate into his shot. And the reason why I like that is like sometimes, and I joke about this all, or talk about this all the time on the pod. Sometimes there is no wide open three on a possession. Sometimes the defense is locked in. Sometimes they're rotating really well. Sometimes you're not going to get the, you know, the butt naked three in the corner. It's going to be, it's going to be something a little tougher. And sometimes it's mellows only a little bit open. But you can swing it to him and he can do that little hesitation that just barely lulls the closing out defender to sleep. And then he can just elevate into the shot and at least get a decent look at the rim. And so I, I really like him as, as a floor spacer in that regard. So let's uh, let's talk about this Ariza thing because this is a big deal. Um, I think you and I both had said multiple times over the summer that we thought that they needed another wing. Uh, not because they needed somebody in the rotation, but because of depth during the regular season. Someone's going to get hurt. Maybe LeBron twists an ankle. Maybe Melo twists an ankle. Here you go, Trevor Ariza gets hurt. So all it really means, in my opinion, is that Ariza is now your wing that you're going to add during the middle of the season in the form of an injury recovery. But now you need somebody now. And I, I have a feeling they're gonna look to sign somebody now. I don't know if that's Wes Matthews or James Ennis or if they have somebody else in mind, but I think they need to sign a wing now because that's now a legitimate problem. And uh, what I'm really concerned about, because it's I don't think the AD at center thing is just AD. I think I think Frank Vogel has a has a, a role in that as well. I think he's so defensive-minded that he's obsessed with size, he's obsessed with rim protection, he's obsessed with rebounding, and I don't even think he factors in as much the way that that can impact the the overall flow of things on the offensive end. I think this is going to be something they use as an excuse to play a lot of DeAndre Jordan at the five next to Dwight. Uh, not next to Dwight, but in conjunction with Dwight, and put a lot of AD at the four, because he's going to be like, hey, well, we needed to reset the three to make our overall totality or our total physicality, uh, uh of the whole lineup, uh you know, usable. So we're going to need to play more centers. I'm really concerned about that because again, even though you and I get roasted for this all the time, like we liked DeAndre Jordan in a very small role. Like you had him as like a two stint guy, kind of like JaVale in 2020. I had him as in like, doesn't play. And the only time he would play is Dwight's resting tonight. Anthony Davis is resting tonight So this allows us to use the same pick and roll coverages. This allows us to stay in the same identity rather than here comes Paul Millsap. He can't protect the rim. So now we got to completely change all of our coverages and and do all that kind of stuff. That's why I liked DeAndre Jordan. None of us, you and neither you or me anticipated that he would get used to the extent that I expect him to get used here in the next couple of weeks with a out, And that's concerning to me. Are you concerned at all? So first, I love that
1: we're the face of DeAndre Jordan propaganda. Like, I just think <laughs> that's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Even though we both said he won't play when it matters. He's probably like the 12th most important player on this team. Is there just to be an innings eater? But I love that we're the face of it. I'll, I'll rock it. That's cool. I go the other way on this. So I've heard, I've heard this argument that like, oh, this just means more DeAndre Jordan. And I love that that's just like a hellscape, right? Any kind of issue comes up, let's just throw it on DeAndre Jordan's plate you know he'll he'll be the uh, he'll be the scapegoat for this season. I think this is an excuse to play more the fourth highest played player on this team, which is Talon Horn Tucker. I think he's going to play a lot more. I think he's going to play at the 3. He's played the most minutes in preseason. I I'm pretty sure. I know in the first game it was second game I'm pretty sure he he played the most. Maybe Ad played a little bit more, but I feel like he played the most minutes. I think they're gonna play him at the three. I've liked what I've seen with him off ball too. I don't know what you saw as well, but he just seems he looks more comfortable with his jump shot as well. His jump shot looks more stable. It looks more repetitive. It looks like he can repeat that action a lot more than it was last year. Uh, his feet look a lot more. You could tell he put in work to get his feet in rhythm. His defense as well has looked fine to me. Like minutes, I think this is an excuse to play more Taylor Horton Tucker. Maybe DeAndre Jordan still starts. We'll see. But that's where I'm at this, with this. I think this gives him an excuse to do even more THT. He's a guy they paid. is a guy they invested in. This is a guy who's shown some skills, some off ball skills. And again, I love him as this secondary kind of defense is broken down. Give it to him. And he has more off the ball. He's not as smart, obviously, as a player as Trevor Riza yet. He just doesn't have the experience, but he's a better off the dribble player. He's a bigger threat attacking the rim. I thought his, like, basketball overall decision-making is better, even if his passing isn't great. He had a bunch of plays where, like, he noticed Aiton wasn't in the paint and he had Jay Crowder on him. He just drove right to the basket and Jay Crowder couldn't do anything about it. He drew a foul, I think, on two of those. So to me, that's where they go with this. What do you think about that? Because that's where I went first when I saw it. And then I see online everyone jumping right to that. Frank's going to do what he wants now. And it's just like, well, maybe. But I I think I think this
0: moves more to uh, more THT minutes. What do you think? I do think it leads to more THT minutes. I don't think it'll necessarily be at the three, but I think that's just semantics because, you know, it's wings, right? It's just it's just wings. Like, it'll be... I think you'll see more THT in Baysmore because you'll have to. Now, so we, we talked about how you got these Russ LeBron AD minutes, right? And they're all... They're each going to play probably 32, 33 minutes a game. So that kind of takes a huge chunk of the rotation out. And then you've got... You know how many center minutes are going to be available and who's splitting them, and then you've got how many you know, wing-slash-guard minutes that are available and, and who's going to take them. Well, I thought Ariza was going to play 20-plus minutes a night. I, he was literally... Uh, I was one of the most optimistic Laker fans about the Ariza signing. I thought he was such a clean fit, and if you look at his, uh, uh, his history, he's one of the players that coaches lean on uh, to play big minutes because of how reliable he is in so many different ways on a basketball team. Well, with him out of the picture, that 20-something minutes is now available for everyone else. So it's going to naturally lead to more THT minutes. Now, I agree with you in the sense that uh, you kind of have to play THT now and Baysmore a lot because that overall physical presence of the lineup needs to hit a certain baseline. Uh, Frank Frank Vogel, for instance, uh, somebody asked him in an interview yesterday after practice, uh, or maybe it was before the game, I can't remember, but they said, you know, hey, like, what is the case for playing AD at the four, basically? Like, if you had to come up with a downside for playing AD at the five, what is it? And he said rebounding. And, and I, I disagree with him because LeBron and AD are probably the second biggest front court in the league behind Brook Lopez and Giannis, right? So, like, I don't think that that's... A, and then Russ is the best rebounding guard probably of all time. So I, I disagree with that line of thinking. However... He's what he's getting at, even though I think he's wrong, what he's getting at is like, we need a certain baseline of physicality and athleticism and size in the lineup. And if we dip below that baseline, you're going to have a lot of games like yesterday where the Phoenix Suns just physically maul you or like the first game where even the Brooklyn Nets who are not a physically imposing team physically maul you. You need to hit that baseline. So if Ariza's out, your 6'8 guy who can guard multiple positions and rebound really well, especially on the defensive end, and he uh, uh, can play 20, 25 minutes a night, take that guy out, that we're moving closer to the baseline. So the way to counteract that is more THT and more Baysmore. You're bigger of the guards. you you're. know. Like you're, Whereas if Ariza was playing 20, 25, 25 minutes a night, you might lean more towards Nunn and Ellington and Monk because you can get away with playing a little bit less size, a little bit less athleticism. So that's going to be the interesting thing to keep an eye on. I agree with you that they're going to have to play THT more. I just think the obvious answer here is the guy I've been clamoring for all summer and a guy that you like too, and that's Wesley Matthews. He's a little bit undersized, but he's so strong and he's so laterally quick that he defends guards pretty well. And then he's just the definition of a professional basketball player. Like the dude just every night does his job. Does the shot go in all the time? No. As a matter of fact, it's, been, it's it's missed a lot of the time. But the point is, is like he's kind of like a shorter version of Ariza, if you think about it in a lot of ways and what you can expect him to do. And so I, I think that I think that's a route that they should go. I'm really interested to see what Rob does in the next couple of days. I would, I would assume we'll hear something today. What do you think?
1: Yeah, and, like, to me, I don't predict them to add another wing. Like, I think they're just going to try to – they have a roster of, like, 13 guys who they believe can play, right? Like, that's what their belief is in this roster other than – Austin Reeves, who actually looks nice. Like I, I like Austin Reeves a lot. I don't think he'll play, obviously, but I think
0: he had a couple of wow plays yesterday. Yeah,
1: like his basketball IQ seems there, and he doesn't look scared on the floor. You know what I mean? Like he looks like he looks comfortable. He looks like he belongs in the NBA. So that was cool to see. But I also like Chond- Chondry Brown, I think I think he's a nice like two way player. But yeah, Rob has been open that he wants to keep that final roster spot open. So I don't think they add someone. I think they expect Ariza back in eight weeks, um, which. I think probably puts him back what it's October somewhere in December,
0: probably. I think they'll be patient with him. I, I think we'll see him mid January. I was thinking about that today. Like like it's a two month uh evaluation. Yeah. Right. But theoretically they could evaluate him and then be like, Okay, we need to rehab this another month, or maybe you need, you know, we're 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 playing great, we're winning a lot of games, no reason to rush you back, we need you for the postseason. I would expect to see a reason in January. That's just my guess.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and again, to me, Ariza, again, he could have started, but that's a playoff signing. Like that's a guy who's gonna make his bones in the playoffs. Same with like Andre Iguodala and Golden State. Similar type of mold of player, right? Guy who knows what he's doing, who he can put in sixteen game player versus eighty-two game player to me. Right? He's a guy who's thirty-six years old. Like he shouldn't be your prime one of your primary wing defenders, even though he probably could have this year. Bazemore, I think we'll have to get more minutes. Like and again, like we talked about it. I just you just can't share the floor with none Ellington uh nun ellington who else baysmore uh carmelo yeah. like that's just yeah. and my, it's a like, disaster <laughs> disaster defensive lineup no matter how many buckets monk is getting off the dribble you know like it's it's just a disaster defensive lineup that i don't think we'll see and i and I, I guess we can kind of move to deandre jordan like i don't want to see deandre jordan without anthony davis on the floor even how ugly the spacing looks like i just think that doesn't make any sense and uh no dwight playing yesterday as well kind of exacerbated that issue because we got a, we got a lot of it I think that's been pretty clear. And we've never said that DeAndre should be the primary center on the floor. That was never what we were going to. So like, what'd you think of DeAndre Jordan? I guess, I guess
0: yesterday. So this has been one of my uh, biggest pet peeves of the last uh, uh, a couple of years, kind of getting into the whole Twitter experience and, and covering, covering the league. People take what you say out of context, you know, like, De- De- I, and what what we said about DeAndre Jordan was so was so clear to anybody who actually listened to the podcast. We were like, "Hey, we don't really care about what of uh, what happened in Brooklyn because it's a completely different identity." Um, uh, that said, we know that uh, the defensive front court is going to be built around LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Dwight Howard. So this is kind of just a depth signing, and and what I said was. What he can do in their drop coverage, which is what they run with Dwight Howard, what they ran with Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee in 2020 was a drop coverage. Strictly in the drop coverage around good defensive players that actually care about defending, which is not what he had in Brooklyn, I think he can be a reasonable facsimile of Dwight Howard. That's, That's all we said. That's literally all we said. And it turned into this thing like, you and i uh, uh, saying that De- DeAndre Jordan's going to be rejuvenated as this like modern uh, 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 defensive center with the Lakers which is not at all not at all what we were trying to say. And so what's funny is like you know, I had I had somebody come to me yesterday, and I'm sure you saw some as well, basically saying, you know, are you ready to admit you were wrong about DeAndre Jordan? No, no, I'm not ready to admit I'm wrong about DeAndre Jordan. Like, because even if I was flagrantly wrong, like even if like even in the best defensive lineups with the Lakers this year, he was just an absolute disaster. It would be in the regular season that I would admit that. Never in a million years. Would you get me in a fake basketball game to come on here and be like, ah, oh, you guys got me like DeAndre Jordan with with three twigs at guard? Couldn't couldn't defend the rim. Like I, I would I would never say that. That's just that's that's ridiculous. It was so funny to me. But as far as DeAndre Jordan goes, like like uh, he is he is a limited defensive player unless you can kind of focus what he does into one specific thing, which is strictly a drop coverage big around other good defensive players so that he doesn't have to cover a ton of ground, so that he does... Like, like he was guarding pick and rolls yesterday with guys who were dying on screens. Like, of course he's going to get picked apart. Like, of course he's going to get picked apart, you know? But within... If, it, if that's LeBron on the back line, if it's Ariza helping, if it's Russ chasing over the top, his job becomes easier. And I do think... I don't think he's going to be an all-defense guy. I don't even think he's going to necessarily be a positive defender but i think he'll be able to hold his ground as a reasonable facsimile of dwight i don't think that's an outlandish prediction uh, am i am i crazy
1: no and again like last night watching the game like he definitely was in this like i know it's preseason and again deandre jordan's in year 13 or whatever he is he knows how many stakes are in preseason and it was there were some funny moments where rondo was like come on man like you gotta you gotta move and, and dj looked back at rondo like what are you talking about? Like, this is preseason game number two. So, that anyway, he's, he's not going to be a great defender. And to me, he's always just been this innings eater, right? Just to give AD a break at the five when Dwight Howard's not playing. Like, that's his specialized role to me. And maybe he's not even good at that. Like, maybe I'm wrong in there. But that's that's the idea that Polinka hired him for. That's the idea Vogel's going for. That's the idea that AD recruited him for. Like, all these guys obviously believe that there's something there that he can do. And, again, you're right. It's just a pure drop coverage these guards that can pull up off the dribble in mid-range they're going to they're going to be able to score on him like that's just the that's just how it is they were able to score on Javel too go watch you know CJ McCollum against us go watch Damian Lillard against us the last year go watch any of these guards who can pull off the dribble they destroy drop coverages that's the point of these that's why these guards average 25 to 30 points a game because these bigs can't stop them so like to me expecting DJ to stop that is is unrealistic like I, all I want him to do is box out Rebound, block a few shots here, catch a few alley oops. That's it. That's it. In like 10 minutes a game. I think he can reasonably do that. I'm not even acting I'm not even asking him to be Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard comes in, super energy guy, guy who lights up the whole team, energy bunny, offensive rebounding, um, hard, attacking the rim uh aggressively. Like I'm not even asking him to do that. So if he can't do that, he won't play. Like that's that's all there is to it. And they've talked about more AD at the five. You have AD at the five, Dwight center minutes. And whatever's left in there, throw them to DeAndre Jordan uh, in a 48 minute game. That's all I'm saying with that. He didn't look great these first two breezes games. So we can be honest about that. He didn't look great, like that, no, and it, that's fine. The whole, that's, doesn't, doesn't the, whole, exactly. the whole team doesn't look great. The exactly whole team doesn't
0: look great. There's they, a lot of people missing. They'd, they'd be getting their ass kicked. <laughs> like <laughs> that's what's happening.
1: <laughs> very true. Yeah, a lot of people missing defensive assignments. You know, so just to just blame it on him is very uh, is very strange to me. And and again, he's part of this whole totality of not looking great. And that's fine. We can say that. But, you know, there's still four more of these exhibition games left before we even touch an actual real facsimile of a game. So I want to wait and see till then. Um, For now, we'll wait. And again, I want to see him with our primary shot creators, like playing with Kendrick Nunn, trying to feed him like while driving, trying to throw it to him on the bounce in traffic. Like it's just weird watching him play with those guys. So I want to see him with the real team. And I think he'll get his shot.
0: The last thing I'll say about DeAndre Jordan is that you know, for the people who want to take a victory lap. If he ends up starting every game and playing 18, 19 minutes as a center every game and being one of the defensive anchors of the team, there's a chance it could get ugly because that's never what we thought he would end up being. And if you want to I'll tell you what, if you want to circle around and take victory laps against us at that point, Go ahead. We'll take it because we're going to we're going to know deep down. That's never what we intended, uh, what we thought was intended for that specific signing. Um, The last thing I want to say, we got about three minutes. Uh, The last thing I wanted you and I to quickly talk about before we get out of here is one of the ramifications of the Ariza injury is just how how much more important it is early in the season for Russ LeBron and AD to be healthy. Um, that margin for error has shrunk considerably now with the Ariza injury, because in a lot of ways, with the signings that they made, the physical, you know, drive of the team is so much more tied up in the stars than it was in previous years. In previous years, because of what you know, KCP was as a stout, you know, exter- uh, perimeter defender, because of Dennis Schroeder, because Andre Drummond, all those things. The, it was a little bit less dependent on LeBron and AD. So when they got hurt, they were able to continue to defend at a really high level. This season, so much of that athleticism and strength and size is tied up in LeBron, Russ, and AD. And now with the Risa out, it's so important early in the season for them to stay healthy. And that's all about luck. And so it'll be really interesting to keep an eye on. Um, but I think the Lakers will be more than fine getting through to January when I think Ariza will come back as long as the core three guys stay healthy. I just think that'll be something to keep an eye on. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I feel the same way. And look, this team's going to go as those three guys go. Like, And we're missing two-thirds of them. You know what I mean? So we're watching this game with like 33% of the, the players that probably really matter in all of this. Um, and again, like it's tough to judge any of this without Ru- Russ's – like I was thinking about this, adding Russ and LeBron to your team is like adding six new players, right? Like just in the terms of like the way your team runs, it's like you're you're adding an entire new dimension to how the team looks right now. You're going from THT running every single ball screen to LeBron James and Russell Westbrook making all your decisions. Your whole team's going to change. The whole way the floor looks, the, the way defenses guards you, the way um, teams have to scheme against you, everything is different once those two guys are running the, running the ball. And you almost start over, which is in kind of a funny way, which is kind of why I want them to play a little bit, and I wish they just played one quarter in that first game. Uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, like they're a whole new team when those two guys go around, and I think AD knows that too. Like you could tell just the way I know he's trying to get comfortable with these new guys and all that. But this team's gonna do, go through a total new uh, make makeover once uh, Russ and Bron get on the floor. Everything changes. All the offense that they run, how much they're in transition. Right, we see Rondo in the ball. Westbrook is like a ex- super exaggerated version of that. You know what I mean? You're going to see this team in transition even more, see his team run even more shots come from different places. So um, I want to see those guys get on the floor, man. We have like four more games here and I expect them to sit out that last one. Uh, but yeah, hopefully we get three games of them working on it and then we get the
0: real thing. I think they'll play tomorrow night uh, against Golden State. That'll be an interesting one. Um, and, and they've been absolutely destroyed on, on the glass. And so bringing LeBron and Russ in completely changes. That equation. Um, anyway, so I'm out of town this weekend. Uh, we would like to get something uh, recorded as a post-game show from the Warriors game. So maybe you and I could touch base about doing something on Sunday. We'll, we'll figure that out um, after the show. But anyway, as always, we sincerely appreciate all your guys' support. Uh, I'm having so much fun with this. I'm so glad the season is starting back up. Uh, A little bit of drama, uh, not real drama, but uh, a little bit of fake drama to kind of keep us uh, held over until the season starts. Uh, But as always, like we said, we appreciate your guys' support, and we'll hope to have something recorded by Sunday. Thanks, everyone.